You're listening to Nourish, Nurture, Breathe, a podcast dedicated to women at all stages of our health and wellness journey. I'm Christy from Christy Lee Nutrition. And I'm Cammie from This Mum's Kitchen. And together, we're here to inspire you with the knowledge and confidence to love into your mind, body, spirit, and lifestyle. Now set aside some time for you and join us on this cup-filling journey. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes released every Wednesday. So let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number two of Nourish, Nurture, Breathe. Today we're going to be taking a deep dive into gut health for immunity and while we're recording this episode we're still all in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic around the world so immunity is a hotter topic now than it's been in a long time but I think what's really important to remember when we talk about immunity is that this is something that we need all the time. Absolutely, yep. Yeah, and it really doesn't matter if we're going into winter so it's flu season or if we're in a worldwide pandemic. Um, You know, immunity is something we should be really loving into and helping out all the time because even though right now we have this example of COVID-19 where we still don't have a treatment, there's no vaccine, so really we are depending on our immune systems as our defence. Um, but this is something that is true every single day, regardless of what else is happening around us. So loving into our guts and loving into our immunity is really, I, I believe, the best thing we can be doing for ourselves every day on our, in terms of health. So today we're going to be looking into, um, and you're going to learn about the biology of the gut, how the gut and immunity are connected, how to look after your gut environment, the inner community of amazing microbes that live within our gut and how they strengthen your immunity, how to look after your gut microbes and the types of foods they like to eat, as well as the foods best avoided most of the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We've got to live, right? Yes. (laughs) And also how to self-assess your gut. So it's a really exciting lineup. Um, so we're going to get straight in. We're going to dive deep. Christy is going to lead us on what we've um, come to call a magic bus ride of the gut. And she will explain the reason for that name um, in a moment. But before we get into that, just as like, I guess, a grounding um, fact that we can all hold with us when we go before we start this journey into the gut. Um, to explain just how important our gut health is with our immunity. And that is that an astonishing 70 to 80% of our total immune cells reside in our gut. And I just find that when I tell that to clients... It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, people just, their eyes go like bright and wide like what do you mean 70 to 80% is in our gut yeah Uh, most people don't realize the gut is an immune organ exactly let Mm. alone the largest immune organ Mm. and I think then that when you then dive deeper into whatever symptoms they might be manifesting it's that sort of grounding fact that we know science tells us 70 to 80% of our immune cells are in our gut so this stuff really matters so with that as our grounding premise Chrissy. I'm going to do my magic bus ride. Yeah. 
And um, I, it's kind of a laugh because I mentioned this to Cammy originally, but um, this is a this is from my childhood, and some listeners might know a bit about this uh, cartoon. It was on ABC Kids. I used to watch it every day. Um, the Magic School Bus. So if anybody's heard of that, you'll be very excited to know I'm about to take you on a bus ride through the gut. Um, just like that crazy teacher does, she shrinks her classroom and the bus and we all get on the bus and we can explore um, our own biology as like a little miniature um, fly on the wall, kind of, I suppose you could explain it like that. So everybody get on my bus, imagine that you're like <laughs> a little mini human um, and we're going to go, we're going to start through the mouth. So um, let's actually pretend that we're, we're with a meal. So um, let's get the example going of perhaps an apple. So I've put our little bus on the skin of an apple and this big ginormous human has just taken a bite of the apple. So what we're going to see first is that inside the mouth, um, we are getting the first steps of digestion happening. So um, saliva is coming into the mouth and this is um, chemical breakdown of food. It's There are salivary amylases in, um, in the fluid and this starts to break down carbohydrate. I actually love this. I love this. <laughs> Since you told it to me, I, I tell my kids we go on the magic bus ride with the gut. Yay. And I, I can see their little imaginations going wild as they imagine, you know, sitting on, on, on this bite of apple with all the saliva starting to come into the mouth and the yeah. teeth. You know, imagine like sloshing around the bus. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and it's so great. Sorry, I f- keep going. No, no, I feel like you'd be like like face planted on the window of the bus, just like big slosh of saliva coming past. I hope you guys are okay with how gross that is. But <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting though, I think. Um, so yeah, so this um, the amylases in the saliva, they're um, breaking down the carbohydrate in the apple into its smaller components, which is fructose. Um, we're also getting that physical breakdown. So you can imagine the bus kind of like trying to like miss the teeth as they come yeah. chomping down. Uh, we definitely don't want to crush our bus. <laughs> <laughs> so, but as you know, of course, when we swallow, not everything is totally crushed. We get it definitely down to like more of a pulp looking kind of consistency. Um, and then we're going to slide down the esophagus and there, which is like the wind pipe, oh, sorry, not the, it's, it's the pipe that diverts wind and food. So we definitely don't want our food to go into our lungs. Yeah. We know what that feels like. We start coughing and spluttering. Um, and so there's a, there's a little flap there, the epiglottis. It decides when, which is food, which is air and which pathway to go down. So we're going to go down the path down into the stomach. So once we've arrived now in the stomach, um, we're going to, yeah, it's super dark. <laughs> it's dark, but it's not that scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's actually what I like to describe as like a really cool washing machine. Yeah. So, um, imagine like, you know how when you turn a washing machine on camera, you, you press the button and as it starts to like all of the, the, um, liquid comes in first. Yeah. So you've, you've got acids coming into the stomach. You've got, um, more enzymes coming into the stomach. And then the stomach starts to churn. So it's like flipping the food around and around and around, mm-hmm. um, put, you know, uh, moving it up and down. So that is, I like what the mouth is doing. It's like it's breaking it down through that mechanical throwing yeah. action. And then you've got that chemical breakdown from the acid. And 
Um, and a really interesting thing about the acid in our stomach as is that this is the first opportunity that if anything has arrived in our stomach that shouldn't be there is likely going to be killed yeah because that acid is so strong that anything um, well most things I shouldn't say everything but most things will be killed at this yeah, point it's, it's our first defense yeah first defense so our stomach is our first defense which is really cool um, and I hope guys are really getting an impression of just how long a journey this has been already. Yeah. <laughs> Only at the beginning. So this is a nine meter long journey, which the other day I actually got my kids to take, you know, nine huge strides across the living room to to show them just what how an awesome long, idea. <laughs> yeah. Just how far <laughs> it is that our food has to go. That's awesome. Yeah, nine meters you think like where, you know, I don't know, most average humans are probably only what 160 150 centimeters is the mm. average perhaps but yeah nine meters where do we fit it it's it's like all curled up and um yeah it's inside our gut which is amazing um so from here we have our food now looking very much kind of like a smoothie so it's we had the pulp in the mouth now it's become more like a smoothie consistency like a blender has blended up all the food and we enter the small intestine so uh, most people think that the small intestine is the smallest part of the intestine, but actually it's the longest. Mm-mm. So it's actually seven meters in length. So that's the majority of our gut. If our yeah. gut is nine meters, then seven meters is the the, the largest part. Yeah, it's just called small because it's actually less wide yes isn't it? yes yeah. that's exactly right. So it's more narrow, whereas our large intestine is wider. So the small intestine has this amazing surface area and and it needs this surface area so that we can absorb our nutrition. Mm -hmm. So most of our nutrition is absorbed in the small intestine um, and we have these little villi in there that do that job for us. So they're like these little carpet fibers that poke out from the edge of our intestine and food um, can absorb across that barrier into our bloodstream. Um, we then have all sorts of other organs involved here. We've got the pancreas and the gallbladder involved, you know, putting in like detergent like mixes coming in to break down more fats and proteins. And I won't go into the, um, the details of exactly this part, but from here, we are now moving into that large intestine I talked about before. So, and, and Cammy just said like, you know, our gut is extremely long and how long have we already been talking about this? So it's been two to six hours in the small intestine. And then by the time it gets to your large intestine, we're now looking at 12 to 30 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So we've all definitely at least had one nap. On yes. Basic, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And this is so important because if you have food intolerances or any kind of gut reactions whatsoever, you're very likely to blame what you just ate because you'll get, uh, you know, some sort of symptom that comes from, you know, shortly after eating. But for it to get all the way to where these symptoms are happening in the large intestine, you know, we're looking at 12 to 30 hours. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you've eaten 12 to 30 hours ago, which is a long time to be able to remember what you ate. Um, So this part of the small intestine, sorry, the large intestine is where we absorb all our water um, it's also where we have fiber now taking a really important role. Mm-hmm. So fiber, which we're going to talk about a lot today, is the undigested part of food. So it arrives in our large intestine and its main role actually is to feed all the gut microbes yes. that live there. These this, are our favorite. This is where it is at. This is where we have our microbiome, which yes. is 
the buzzword, yes. isn't it? It's the buzzword in gut health. Yes. But I hope that what we're going to do today, which isn't done very often, is just to explain the whole complex system, not just concentrate on the microbiome. You know, what Christy has just led us through on this magical bus ride was is so important and such an important part to understanding how to look after our immunity and how to look after our gut health. But also, let's be honest, we've now just arrived where it's really at. Yes, exactly. Which is the large intestine. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I love to, um, I love to think about the large intestine um, in, in the way of like a really visual example. I give my clients a really visual example of its sort of um, strong barrier function, which is so important to our to our gut health. And what I do is, and I invite you to do it at home listening, or if you're walking, obviously if you're driving right now, you can't do this, please don't do this. But if you're walking or just listening at home, then do. And it's to place your two fists together and sort of um, wedge together your knuckles. So they're sort of making um, a perfect puzzle. And you see how they fit together perfectly and really interlock. That is what we want the gut lining of our large intestine to be like. Um, And when I was doing my studies, one of the lecturers um, explained it in a really great way, I felt. And she said, you want to think of your gut lining as a brick wall as opposed to a picket fence. So you don't want anything to be able to leak through like it could in a picket fence through the gaps. You want it to be a solid brick wall with, you know, really, really solid um, structure and and nothing nothing leaking through and that's basically what we want so we've got our beautiful strong gut lining on the inside of the gut lining we have a mucosal layer which is also really really important and then lying on the other side of that is where our immune system lies Mm. all those cells we were talking about at the beginning and this is um i love to think about it as an army Mm. And I always explain it to my to my clients and my kids. I feel like we're on this bus and we're like peering out from the window and we're seeing like this like line of soldiers across the edge yeah. of the, the other gut. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the soldiers are sort of seeing us, they're discussing, you know, if you have to do anything. <laughs> Luckily we're on the other end on the other side of they're the watching line. Us, like, they are watching us. Where are you going? <laughs> they are watching and they're aware. Um, but <laughs> no, jokes aside, this is really how it works. excuse me and um so you've got our our innate immune system so basically our immune system has two systems we have an innate immune system and an adaptive immune system i'll just gloss over it a little bit but basically that first line of soldiers that's our innate immune system and that's the immune system that we are born with so this is an instinctual immune response it's waiting, it's the line of defence, it's those frontline soldiers that Christy was talking about, and it's waiting to respond like, I guess, like paramedics would, you know, like first mm. responders to things like open wounds, to foreign bodies like bacteria or pollens, and to compromised cells it might come into contact with. And compromised cells can be cells um, taken over by viruses and, and, mm. and cancers, for example. Um, so they go about it and they blast different things, they blast inflammation and that's how, so basically it's able to turn off and on inflammation. So this is something we were talking about the other day, you know, there's a lot of talk about inflammation now in the holistic health and in the health circles in general, which is great. 
we all understand that inflammation is a massive precursor for heaps and heaps of chronic disease but it's also part of our natural defense and where we come into problems with inflammation is when it becomes chronic Mm. so we're constantly inflamed for various reasons it always comes down to balance doesn't it It it's like we, we want that inflammation to help you know fix the problem or you know come and attack whatever's coming at us but if that gets out of hand and it kind of spirals and amplifies, then we've kind of lost the balance. Now we have too much inflammation. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. That's absolutely right. And so in this case, when it's actually just a part of our innate immune response, turning on inflammation is basically the body's way to try and burn off pathogens. Mm. So if you imagine it like, you know, that first line of soldiers throwing a grenade mm. or, you know, setting off a bomb it's just this massive hot scenario that they're hoping it will burn off pathogens um, and that's what a fever is so I find that really interesting as well mm. because you know as mums as well at least of my generation with young kids um, we're learning to a lot of the time let a fever run its course mm. and not you know medicate it straight away unless we really need to um, so I think that that's really interesting and that's the scientific reason for that So that's our innate immune system. The second immune system is our adaptive immune system. And this is our learned Mm. immune system. And it's really so fascinating. This basically kicks in four to seven days after whatever the initial response was and only if needed. That's quite slow in comparison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's because it's strategic. Mm. You know, whereas the innate immune system just responds in quite a blanket way with with this list of incredibly efficient um, activities that it's able to do, the adaptive immune system sort of strategizes. It's like they go away and they're like... They, they gather together and create a plan and sit over, I don't know, drawings and map out, okay, who are we up against? Have we seen these guys before? Exactly. Yes, we have. Okay, last tactic we used that was really effective was this one. Let's use that again. Or if it's brand new, they're going to have to come up with a brand new strategy. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But then if it is brand new, maybe they'd be looking at, okay, it's brand new, but it kind of looks a bit like this guy. Yeah. Let's do something similar to what we did there. They can be smart about it. Yeah, mm. yeah. And so it, it is, it's incredibly interesting and Basically, in a very glossed over form, the adaptive immune system has two responses. T cells, which attach to pathogens and secrete something called cytokines that tell the B cells to multiply and to produce specific antibodies. And when you're thinking about B cells, um, another analogy I love to use is of a lock and key. Mm. So every single antibody is specific to the pathogen. It's like a perfect fit. Yeah, that key will only fit that lock. And I think that that's, yeah, a really great way to think about it. And that's basically how our our immune system works. And that immune system, as as we've said before, 70 to 80% of it resides right there in our gut. And what's really, really interesting is that, of course, that's also where our microbiome is, our gut Mm. microbiome. And there's emerging research all the time suggesting this conversation this two-way conversation between Mm. our microbiome and our immune system which I just think is so fascinating it's so exciting I mean this whole area of microbiome research it's not just the immune system but we're also finding that it's related to our bone health Mm -hmm. our hormone health our mental health it has such a massive um 
yeah, just the whole body. We're wondering now, like, are we really human or are we really, really controlled by this this bacteria that live in our gut? Um, well, so, you know I love the statistic yeah, behind that. Yes, yes. And that is that we are 10 times more bacterial cells than we are human DNA, yeah. which is mad. That's it's just in, crazy. It's incredible. I mean, if you think, I think it's a hundred trillion that's crazy bacterial cells i mean they're so small so you can imagine like yes they fit there um but that's more cells than we have you know and then human cells so incredibly they um have such a huge role to play in our health and the number one thing that we um know that keeps them healthy is that diversity in our gut Mm -hmm. so what is a healthy gut microbiome it's one that has lots of different types of bacteria living in there and in um, high numbers yeah so um, when we have a really healthy gut microbiome, they're doing things for us like um, local and systemic immune function. Um, they cool inflammation for us. They're fighting infections. They can um, enhance nutrient absorption. They're looking after the integrity of that mucus layer in our gut. And that's so important with our immune defense so that we have that nice brick wall mm-hmm. um, gut rather than the picket fence. Um, making sure that our gut moves properly. So that's like optimal gut motility um, and preventing things like neoplastic changes, which is um, cancer and, and tumors. Um, so how do they do this? I mean, the, this is so cool, but they, um, they eat the food that we provide them in our gut and they create these messenger molecules mm-hmm. that go on to talk with other organs in our body. So they talk to our brain or our, or, um, our reproductive organs and as we mentioned before, Cami, what do they like to eat? Mm-hmm. They like to eat fiber. Yes. Because our gut, it has absorbed everything except the fiber in the water in the small intestine reaches the large intestine. So this fiber is now available for the bacteria to eat. Um, so if, you've, if your diet is very low in fiber, then your gut microbes don't have a very rich, nutrient-dense diet. Mm-hmm. So we naturally see that someone who doesn't have a high-fiber diet has poor gut health. And they are living beings. Mm. You know? And I, when I talk to my kids about this and about the importance for us to do what we call veggie loading, and we'll talk about that more in a bit, but basically you know, to eat lots of, of vegetables and live foods, mm. it's because we are feeding yeah these bacteria which we are mostly you know we're 10 times more bacteria than we are human cells and they need to eat Mm -hmm. you know and they need to eat the stuff which makes them strong we almost need to do menu planning thinking about what do our gut bacteria like to eat for dinner this week (laughs) (laughs) if only they could tell us in a in a very clear way um but that that's so veggie loading so the reason cami brings that up is because Fiber is the backbone of plant foods. So where animals um, have a, a skeleton structure to hold us upright, um, plants use fiber. Yeah. So um, I get people to think about it like this. Like if you've got a, a beautiful piece of celery stick in front of you and you grab it at both hands with t- two hands and you crack it, you're going to find that it's going to string right in the middle of this kind of stringy stuff. Um, some of it breaks, some of it's still intact. It's pretty strong stuff. Um, so that's a type of fiber right there. Yeah, yeah. And it's in all plant foods. Mm. So when we're thinking about plant foods, we're thinking about, yes, of course, vegetables and fruits. We're also thinking about nuts and seeds, whole grains, legumes. They're Beautiful. all um, you know, herbs and spices. Mm. Um, they're all plant foods. So it's really, Absolutely. it's an enormous 
it's an enormous abundance of, of foods to choose from when, we, when we're talking about plant foods. Exactly. And um, there are different types of fibres. Some are better than others. And I talk about a particular one called prebiotic fibre as being like the king of all fibres. Yeah, I think you called it the, ho- the holy grail. <laughs> oh, the holy grail. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even remember. <laughs> Which I love. And I, and I now use. That's oh, awesome. The, the holy grail. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in order to be classified as a prebiotic fibre, the fibre has to undergo several scientific trials to prove that it has a specific health benefit in our gut. So that means that it specifically feeds a type of bacteria in our gut that is linked with good health benefits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And these are things like it could improve blood sugar control, appetite regulation, support bone health, um, skin health, and support your immunity. Um, and so some of the prebiotic fibers that have won this um, title, things are like inulin, uh, fructooligosaccharides, galactooligosaccharides, and something called resistant starch. Um, and so you can find these types of foods, sorry, these um, prebiotic fibers in things like dates and nectarines, asparagus, garlic, almonds, barley, legumes and well i guess these particular resistant starches they're quite unique aren't they they are they yeah. are because they're not naturally occurring as they are are they we, we've got to do something to release them which I yeah think is really exciting. it's cool because um so what what happens with a resistant starch is that it's normally found in more of a, a raw form of a plant usually before it's nice and edible mm-hmm. so like a, a banana is a really good example when it's really green it's mostly resistant starch and if you catch it on that kind of slightly green spectrum, you're going to get more resistant starch in your banana. Yes, but then you also get that really starchy yeah. texture on your teeth. So some people, you know, I'm a weird person. I like green bananas. <laughs> slightly <laughs> I think, green. <laughs> I think it's because you know about resistance. Maybe, starch. yeah. I have that mind over matter. I go, this is good for me. <laughs> but of course, um, yeah, it's not for everybody. Um, and as Cami alluded to, Things like rice and potato and pasta can have resistant starch, but what you need to do with it is that you need to cook it first, mm-hmm. cool it down, and then you and then you eat it because during that cooling process, the starches are reforming into that resistant starch. Yeah, yeah, and I just love that. I have to say, I I've known about the cooking and cooling for a long time, and I, and I've found that to be a really satisfying mummy win when I make mm. packed lunches and stuff and like my Italian background comes out and I was making cold pasta salads and cold rice salads and loving that my kids were tucking into them and just getting this like resistant starch win but what I didn't know which you actually taught me Christy was that you can actually reheat yes. it yes and it still remains that same resistant starch which I I mean that is just to me mind-boggling because we all know that good health starts and ends in the gut and I do as much as I can and teach my clients to do as much as they can, easy, easy habit hacks to loving into their gut and this is one, you mm. know, also when it comes to easy meal planning, we always talk about pre-cooking grains, yeah. having them ready in the fridge, having them ready in the freezer but you're also doing yourself an incredible service getting that resistant starch at the same time which I just think is totally fantastic it's amazing I I love telling all my clients about that that did you know that every time you were pre-preparing those foods you're actually turning it into an even healthier version of what it was before yeah yeah Um, so good just so so good so we've talked about prebiotics um which 
I think that might have been actually the maybe the first time that a lot of our listeners would have heard mm. talk about prebiotics because for some reason within health and wellness circles, probiotics are what are getting all of the spotlight um, with with gut health. And um, I actually found that quite frustrating mm. um, because, yes, this is a really important part of gut health and diet. And we'll talk about ways that you can get natural probiotics through your diet in a second. But really where it's at is the prebiotic fibres and um, veggie loading and getting that diversity that, that we were talking about. So with probiotics, um, we get them from naturally fermented foods, don't mm. we, Christy? Yep. yep, they don't just come from capsules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yes, we'll talk about our opinions on those capsules in a moment. Um, but what we love to concentrate on are the naturally occurring probiotics in, in foods. And fermented foods and drinks are a great way for us to get these. And basically, um, the difference between prebiotics and probiotics um, is that probiotics means that it's sort of pro-life um, and it's living, the living organisms. Um, so we're basically adding to the numbers of living organisms in our gut by eating these foods. The prebiotics is like pre-life and it basically means just what they like to eat. So probiotic foods we can easily be including into our diet um, are things like kombucha, which is a fermented tea, kefir, which is a fermented milk. And you can find really good store-bought mm. examples of these. You needn't make them at home if you don't want to. But if you do, it's super easy. And we've got details in our blog. Um, just make sure that you check out, that you just check out the ingredient label because some are more sugar-laden and more um, have additives and things that they just don't need to have because they're fermented. So they survive on Natu their own naturally preserved exactly yeah exactly and mm. um, so we talked about kombucha we talked about kefir then there's things like all the pickled veg mm. so kimchi sauerkraut pickled cucumbers pickled onions olives even just mm. as long as they've been pickled in brine um there's so much that we can just be eating and if you think about traditional cuisines you know japanese all across Eastern Europe, the Middle East, they've all got these pickled vegetables which mm -hmm. were part of their diet every single day and part of ancient ways of eating because we didn't have refrigeration. Yeah. So, and we didn't have canned goods. So how would we keep things fresh exactly. and yeah, safe to eat? Yeah, we had to naturally preserve. Mm. And so we were fermenting and we were giving our bodies these beautiful, naturally fermented probiotic foods and bolstering our gut health and our immunity without even knowing about it. So that's something really easy that you can add in to your diet um, to be bolstering that diversity that Christy was talking about that's so important for our gut. But do we want to talk just briefly about probiotic supplements? I think we do. It has to be talked about because um, we're finding them on shelves in you know, most pharmacies now. Um, I think they're appearing in supermarkets as yeah, well. Yeah. So obviously they're not something that are coming with a script. Um, and that should really highlight to you that they're not very prescriptive, are they? Because they're um, very much something that's generic on the shelf and they will have some ideas on the back of what they might do for you. But realistically the research and the evidence isn't quite there yet um we yeah I, my recommendation is that if you are looking to be you know looking after your gut and giving it a probiotic boost go with your fermented foods mm -hmm. 
Probiotics on the shelf, they're very expensive and they just don't have that level of research to support them yet. Yeah. 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 So keep, it's something that will happen, um, but it's just going to take a bit more time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's definitely, you know, times when specialists would be recommending and, and prescribing yes. certain strains of probiotics in certain dosages. But that's very different, isn't it, Christy, to just very buy different. a probiotic off the shelf. Exactly. There are some probiotics out there, things that can help you um, restore your gut after you've been on a course of antibiotics, yeah. particularly if you get diarrhea um, after you've been on an antibiotic. So that's really great. Um, but best to be talking to you know your GP, dietitian, healthcare practitioner, whoever's looking after you. What dose specific do you need mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and where can you get that? And what strains? What strain? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So important. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now we can talk about my favorite part, which is the veggie loading. Yay. And <laughs> this is one of the places that we that Christy and I just aligned on within, you know, our early conversations with each other when we first met. Um, because we use different words, we use different terminology, but the, the reasoning behind it is is the same. And that's that the benefits of eating an abundance of plant foods, not necessarily meaning that you are on a plant-specific or plant-only diet. So we're definitely not saying that you need to be a vegan or a vegetarian, but that you are including an abundance of, of plant-based foods in your diet every week is so important. And our recommendation is to aim for a different, for a variety of 30 different plant foods in a week. And there's scientific reason to back that up, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. exciting. So, I mean, whether you've heard of this before, but polyphenols and flavonols, if you've ever done any kind of wine tasting or um, anything along those lines, these, these words come up because we are describing here the flavors that are coming out of a plant. Um, it's also describing the colors that you'll see. Yeah, that's right. The rich, rich colors. That's yeah. the polyphenols, isn't it? So they're collectively termed phytochemicals. Um, and these amazing nutrients, they um, help, they look after the lining of our gut. Um, they um, are antioxidants, so they help reduce inflammation in our body. And you can find all of these amazing phytochemicals in anything that's really highly colorful. So, you know, think of all your veggies. We're thinking of um, beetroot, we're thinking red cabbage, fruits like blueberries, we've got, you know, orange sweet potato. Yeah. yeah. They're everything, herbs and spices. Yeah. I mean, we've said, haven't we? We've said it's. It's the scientific reason behind the mm. eat the rainbow hashtag. Yes. I mean, just eat as many colours as you can, eat as rich a variety of plant-based flavours as you can, and you're going to be stocking up on these phytochemicals. And phyto just means from plants. So everything that is plant-based is going to be really, really, really benefiting you right now. And actually... Um, me and my family did a bit of a, a recent experiment on the 30 plant-based foods a week cool. um, recommendation because I've been recommending that to clients for a long time um, just with the assumption that I would definitely eat, you know, 30 different mm-hmm. vegetables um, in a week. And um, so we're a family of four, me and my husband, my son is six, and my daughter is three. So me and Matteo, my son and I, we hit 30 different plant foods in one and a half days without even trying. Amazing. And that's not because we are particularly, you know, healthy specimens. He's six, right? <laughs> but it's just, it just goes to show that it's actually not that hard. 
you know, you're, you're including all of your herbs and spices. So even if you think about like a standard bolognese sauce, for mm. example, right? So you put your garlic, your onion, your celery, your carrots. I add mushroom to mine as well yes, and cauliflower. Yeah. So that's six. And then we've got the oregano, the bay leaves. Yep. Tomato. The tomato. Yep. I put a, a vegetable stock paste that I make in my um, Thermomix and that's got like another... I don't know, six different things in there. So that's somewhere between like 12 and 15 different plant foods. It's huge. In a meat-based sauce. Yeah. Right? Yep. So it's really also just about understanding that it's actually so achievable um, and so, so, so good for us. And and the most important thing is that the reason why we're harping on about getting so many different types, like having at least 30 types, is that each bacteria in our gut likes to eat something different, a different fiber, a different nutrient. So if we're only providing carrots and beans and broccoli every week and we just kind of repeat those vegetables and we don't expand outwards, we're only going to encourage those bacteria to grow, yeah. the ones that like beans and broccoli um, and carrot. But we're going to miss out on all the beneficial bacteria that love the capsicum and the cauliflower and the herbs and spices. yeah. 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 And this is a really great way to for, you know for the for the mums and the parents listening to to help educate your kids because I, I think you know that I've only told the first part of that story which was me and my son like my daughter <laughs> <laughs> who's 3 she's a, she's a lot pickier than than my son and she always has been and um we're we're 3 days into that um experiment now and she's on 15 plant-based foods um, and when I said to her, you know, the other night, I said, Sabrina, you know, do you want to try a chickpea? You could get another point on your on your scoreboard for our plant based foods. And she just re- replied to me and said, Mama, I've got all week. Whereas your son's very, he's very keen to like, yeah. get his 30 as soon as possible yeah, and absolutely yeah. smash the goal. Your daughter's thinking, well, I've got a full week to hit 30, so I should spread my 30 over the week. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're doing better than that, you know, only a day and a half, like keep going, keep go for 40, go for 50, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And just to just teach variety. Mm. You know, I think that it's not so much about the number. It's just about the fact that what you were saying before um you know we've got all these wonderful bacteria we want as much diversity as we possibly can it's a really easy concept to explain to children that we've got different bacteria that like different foods just like my kids like Mateo will eat one thing and Sabrina will eat another so the bacteria aren't any different and so we want to be giving them different foods Mm. so they all get a bit of what they a bit of what they really like yeah I love that that's awesome that you can use that I mean and listeners might like to do that too if you've got kids use these opportunities um, to teach your children and, and use games, make it fun, make it really exciting as, yeah. a, as opposed to just eat more veggies. I think we're pretty sick of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even exactly. as adults. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So we've talked about the foods that um, we should be eating. We've talked about the wonderful polyphenols and the flavonols. Um, what One of the things that Christy often brings in when we talk about these things is that it's um there's also wonderful polyphenols in things like dark chocolate Mm. and brilliant um red wine Mm, which um, I also (laughs) love sharing with um clients because it's great you know we don't need to be thinking about being quote-unquote healthy all the time there's masses there's there's an abundance of goodness in so much of what we love to eat and um and I find that that point about the red wine really easy to understand you know we we know it's got a lot of health benefits 
There's research from blue zones all around the world, which are the parts of the world where uh, we're studying people because of their longevity of life. Mm. And their quality of life That's too. Right. It's not just about living longer, but living a better quality life for as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, living mm. better for longer. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and all the diets in those areas are um, different. But they've, you know, they've got a few similarities, and one of them is that most of them um, will be drinking, you know, some red wine, mm. and maybe not every day, definitely not lots and lots, but mm-hmm. but they will be drinking some red wine. So next time you have a red wine, um, you know, give yourself a pat on the back for those, <laughs> those polyphenols that you are feeding to your gut. Do you know that reminds <laughs> me of a story about a client, and because I brought this up, and her heritage was actually Italian. And she she said she said that coming to Australia, we had a different culture around alcohol that you would go to someone's house or a barbecue and you would drink, drink, drink well before the meal was served. So you'd be pretty drunk by the time the meal comes around. And I'm sure if our listeners are mostly from Australia, you will agree that this is something we see all the time. And so that's where we've fallen a bit out of balance. Um, whereas this woman was saying that in Italy, no one actually touches the alcohol until um, the dinner or the meal was served. So you'd be having your dinner and your wine together. And that balance is there where you're not then um, kind of out, you know, you're losing the benefit of the polyphenols by overdoing the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. But in, in Italy, there's that culture of the aperitivo. Which oh, is, okay. Yeah, Tell which me. is the before meal drink. Oh, yes, yes. But you always have it with snacks. So, okay. Like, I don't know if, if, if you've been to Italy. Um, I, I lived in, in Rome for for nearly 10 years. And um, and there's this massive culture of aperitivo. When you go out, you have a drink before your meal. But um, there's always at least some nuts mm. to eat. But most of the time, there's a beautiful buffet. Yeah. And so when I lived there, we used to go straight from work to aperitivo, have a spritz. Ooh. And, Fancy. <laughs> yeah, and, a, and a plate of something delicious, which yep. was all sorts, you know, pasta, salads, veggies, Lovely. bruschetta, all different things, and just end up actually eating eating there. So not chips. No. No, okay. <laughs> it's, it's also just that culture that you were saying that there is no, there is no alcohol without food. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, yeah, really, really interesting. Um, so we've talked about all the foods the abundance of different foods we can be eating um, to, to support our gut. Um, and let's just talk briefly about the foods that, you know, we, we, we want to be having a lot less of in order to um, be looking after our guts in, in the best way. Okay, so foods um, to think about in this category where we don't, Christian and I generally work off an 80-20 sort of rules. So you'd be having 80% of all the wonderful nourishing foods we've already talked about um, and and 20% of less nourishing foods. But there are also um, some foods that we we can just actually quite easily um, remove from our diets without really missing out. Um, And that's stuff like sugar-heavy foods, refined grains, feedlot animal products. So that means animal products. So not, you know, fresh grass-fed meats, um, but, but... Products in which are, are animal based, like poor quality sausages, you know, pro- highly processed sandwich meats, um, that sort of thing. We we just don't need to be including it. Um, if if you love ham, you're not alone. Like I said, you know, I have an Italian background. Um, we buy a, a beautiful nitrate free ham mm. for our family from our local deli, and and that's that's fine. 
um, high sodium foods as well, highly processed vegetable oils, and they can really hide in a, in a lot of places you wouldn't expect them. So that's an example of when it's a, a good idea to, to read food labels. Um, and unnatural foods with um, artificial colours, flavours and sweeteners um, and and foods that are high in pesticides and herbicides that they would definitely be for me foods that I'm very comfortable saying we can just avoid um, just remove them from our diets do this wonderful healthful thing for us and and also feel like we're not missing out at all because mm. there are whole food natural food options that yep. very deliciously take their place and it's not to say to you know never ever have some of those foods again like you mentioned the ham it's just to have them less often like mm. you know only have them as 20 percent of your diet or you know if you really love um i don't know something like sausages have them less often just rather than having them multiple times a week yeah yeah but i mean again you can have sausages I believe you can have sausages whenever you like, but just have them be sausages from your butcher. Best quality. High quality meat. Yep. High welfare. Yeah. yeah. Without any fillers in there. You know, terrifying things go into the mm-hmm. multi-manufacturing. You can hide anything in a you sausage. Can hide <laughs> you say to my husband, he's an Italian, he says, never buy sausages or meatballs at the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. I, and I often say to my clients, if it doesn't look like it came from an animal, like if you look at some of the processed meats that are very square shaped, yeah. like you don't see any square chickens running around or yeah. square piggies. <laughs> like It's not what they look like. Yeah, yeah. So it's been it's been processed heavily. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, so that's the sort of food side then there's a lot to do with the mindfulness side as well um, Mm. that is really important for our gut we know that there's a massive gut brain connection and so that is definitely something Mm. to be considered but I think we'll come back to that in another podcast all about the gut brain connection don't you think Christy because it's such a huge topic it's huge it just know that the gut is like our second brain um and it's worth a whole it's worth a whole episode yeah yeah yeah. and just one little fact because I do love my pop fact (laughs) is that stress increases our cortisol levels and cortisol is broken down into sugar ah yes and so that on its own is um you know, something that I, I used to explain how the gut, the brain, our stress mm-hmm. levels, everything, it's all it's all um, really, really connected. Um, yeah, so that's definitely one. Watch out for that podcast. That will be coming um, soon. Um, but, yeah, just just think about mindfulness. Think about where you're eating. Think about your environment within where you're eating and, and who you're eating with. And just try and step back as often as you can from the rush and the mania of, of modern life to allow yourself some some downtime um, mm-hmm. for a meal, and I and I try and tell myself and my clients to avoid what I call al desco meals <laughs> and, and try and have al fresco ones instead. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it, it's really because when we digest it's in our rest phase it's like that rest and digest so if we're at the desk and we're busy in something we're stressed out we're 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 somewhere else our mind is somewhere else we're not thinking about the food in front of us where it's come from chewing it properly all of these factors come into then how our body is going to digest it and how it's received by the bacteria down there so absolutely super important that we're eating mindfully yeah yeah Mm. okay so to, to sort of finish up 
Shall we just give some like self-assessment tips um, to our listeners about how they can start to think about where they are currently at with their gut health? Absolutely, yeah. So um, as Cammie and I talk about, you know, do go back in time a little bit and have a chat with your mum about um, how you were born because this is where it all begins. Our gut microbiome, it starts in, it actually starts in the womb and during birth delivery and then our first thousand days of life. So this is something I'm really, really passionate about in my work. Um, so whether you were, whether your mum was healthy during her pregnancy, if she had a really high plant-based diet, her gut, her gut microbiome will transfer over to yours. Yeah. And let, let us just clarify that the thousand days, that starts from conception, yes. doesn't it? It starts three months pre-conception, okay. so in the fertility phase, ah, yeah. yeah. So when you're thinking about having a baby, um, that's when it all begins, and then um, the end of the thousand days is at two years of age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. So it's massive. Um, and so then, and I have a lot of friends who you know, are new to pregnancy, and we are all still, you're nervous for your first one. And a lot of girls are wanting to go more for a C-section because they're worried about the changes to their body during pregnancy. Um, and the birth but in fact having a vaginal birth is so important because there is an amazing transfer of bacteria from the birth canal to the baby and that is setting you up for a lifetime of either you know for good um, immune function Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. we then then lead into the breastfeeding phase so when you're breastfeeding your baby there is bacterial transfer from the nipple from the milk itself because the milk is alive. It's it's ever changing. It's got um, antibodies in it yeah. that the mum's body will make. And the um, initial clostrum is so yes. so so rich, isn't it? Yes, it's so rich in nutrition. It's got a really high fat content um, that you definitely want your baby to be getting. Of course, I'm very mindful that breastfeeding is not always possible for mums. There's so many medical um, and personal and social reasons for why breastfeeding isn't possible. So. Um, formula is definitely the next best thing to be going for um, but where you can if you can definitely be breastfeeding um, so if going back and asking your mum these types of questions you know how was I born I know that might not be something you want to know about but you go and ask it's interesting yeah um, were you breastfed how long for and did you have any antibiotics during your infancy um, I know personally I had a series of um, tonsillitis as yeah. an infant and I was put on antibiotics again and again and again and that actually has um, changed the I think the enamel on my molars the right. dentist has been able to pick up on um, that you know heavy duty antibiotics early in life but I guess it's a real testament that you know I'm very healthy and well um, I, th- I like to think I have a quite, quite a good immune system. So despite that series of antibiotics, you know, it's not too late. What you can do with your diet and your lifestyle now still plays a massive role in um, your health going forward. Yeah, totally. It's, it's just the knowledge, isn't it? The mm. knowledge is so empowering. And I think, you know, for us personally as individuals, like like you said, Christy, to go back, talk to our mums, you know, try and help them remember. Because <laughs> my mum doesn't remember a lot. Of, you know, obviously she remembers like how I was born and things like that but but you know not so much the little things specifics we have quite you know we have conversations and more comes out and it's really interesting and then then as a as a mother or 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 planning to be a mother um these are all really interesting insights that you can take forward in your fertility and pregnancy journey and just help them to empower your choices you know like christy said there's not always the opportunity for choice Mm. and and that is something that we all have to accept and um 
then there are always next best options. And the most important thing is that you and, and, and your baby are, are healthy. Um, but to know these things and so that... It's empowering. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's empowering. And it's a beautiful way to start any journey is, is to be empowered um, by knowledge. So we've done that. We've gone through um, with ourselves... Um, you know, our, our history in terms of all those beautiful things that Christy talked about. And then from there, you can you can sort of bring it forward into the now and start to look at any, any manifesting symptoms um, that could be related to either um, your gut health or a weakened immune system or, you know, likelihood is both. Um, so this list is ongoing, really. It's an infinite mm. list. It really depends who you speak to in terms of how long this list is. If you're speaking to me, I reckon it's pretty much everything in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and we may just went at when the research cuts catches up, Cammy might be totally right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it, I get a feeling that is probably right as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean the, the more you know, it's so exciting to watch the research coming out. It's gut health is now the, the biggest research mm. med, um, part of medicine, isn't it? And there's 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 new developments every day. Um, but we know, we know, we really do know that that there's an import there's incredibly important work happening in our gut. Um, but to list a few symptoms that are, I, I guess are common offenders, yeah. um, we've got things like low energy or, le- or lethargy, um, bloating. So that's that. just sort of rewinding back to when we were talking about going on that magic bus mm. ride with Christy. And Christy was explaining how long it takes for foods to actually pass through our, our system from one end to the other. Um, you know, but we can still experience bloating sort of feel like it's happening immediately after a meal it might actually just be a bit of constant bloating from Mm. accumulated sensitivity or 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 intolerance typically what happens is when you've eaten um whatever is now whatever's in your small intestine right right now which is from many many hours ago the gastric reflex of eating pushes new foods into that large intestine and so if that is that, that can cause that bloating reaction. But I definitely have lots of clients that get chronic bloating from stress. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk, you know, in another episode about that gut-brain axis, our brain has the ability to turn on all sorts of um, gut symptoms as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so more, more sort of symptoms that you could be looking at for things like t- tummy pain, constipation that, that that means that you know you're you you're really having difficulty going to the loo and you, you've been having difficulty for for some time mm. um continued diarrhea urgency to go to the loo and, and and do a number two um reflux flatulence um incomplete evacuation is is the note that because <laughs> she's so much more the science way um, of saying it polite than me but you know I mean, when, <laughs> when, when you just do a poo it doesn't feel like you're finished but it is finished you just have this gut feeling yeah, right yeah you're just sitting there going i i don't i can't get any more out but i feel like there's something still left yeah 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 <laughs> um that, that, that's how i explain it um Skin flare-ups as well, such as dermatitis and, and eczema. You know, if you're getting any sort of itchy hives on, on your skin, it, it can really be a telltale sign that there's there's some imbalance there. Um, unexplained weight gain or an ability to lose or, or gain weight. Um, and there's also some sinister symptoms to look out for too, aren't they, Christine? Yeah, like definitely. If you're getting what we call more red flag symptoms, so if you notice that you need to urgently do a number two in the middle of the night, so you have to get out of bed to, to use the toilet to do a number two, 
Um, if you ever notice blood in your stool, that's definitely a red flag. So you should 100% be going and seeing your doctor in these instances. They'll do things like stool tests and blood tests and be looking out for anything that might be more sinister than just your general kind of gut health and immune function. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but if you if you don't have any of those red flag symptoms and 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 you are sort of comfortable with with talking about poo, then um, which I am, as you will notice <laughs> in this episode and many <laughs> moving forward, I think as as a mum you just become comfortable with this once upon a time taboo subject. Um, but there's this wonderful chart called the Bristol Stool Chart, isn't there, mm. Christy? Which is such a great way of self assessment and that we both use with our clients. It's awesome, yeah. So it's literally as it sounds. It's the this chart of poos it's got pictures cartoons don't worry they're not real pictures <laughs> they're cartoons of poo so they range from type one to type seven so it goes from these like little meatball lumpy pieces all the way down to like a really sloshy watery consistency and using that um, assessment tool you can when you do go to the toilet have a look at your poo and have a think about it. Am I a type four? Am I a type six? And and by doing these little self-assessments of your poo, you can really start to understand what's going on with your gut. Is it, yeah, is it well or is it um, need, needing a bit of work? Yeah, yeah. And it, it is, it's really insightful. It's really insightful. And it's also over time, you know, over quite some time. And Chris and I both talk about health as an accumulation and, you know, how we're, we're providing building blocks. We're definitely not going for overnight um, overhauls. You can you can chart differences um, in your poo, which are satisfying. <laughs> and we're um, going to provide this for you. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. feel like everyone in their home should have one of these Bristol yeah. stools. Actually, maybe we should cut one out and put it in our own toilets and just <laughs> educate the um, the guests that come through our house yeah. along the way. <laughs> we quiz them when they come out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but we will, um, no, we, in all seriousness, we, we will be providing the Bristol stool chart alongside the other resources on our website. So that's um, nourishnurturebreathe.com. And you can go there and find all of the information um, that we've talked about on the blog and also um, some downloadable resources for you there. So I reckon we can probably wrap this episode yeah. up. It's been so great, but we're, we're reaching our time limit, aren't we? Definitely. I've, well, we've covered a lot, but just to recap, if you don't remember anything else after today, remember that there's 70 to 80% of our immune cells that are living in our gut. So we have this intrinsic connection between our immune system in our gut. We've talked about how the immune system works in our little magic school bus ride that ended up in the large intestine. Uh, we didn't actually make our way out the end, did we, in the poo? <laughs> yeah, we talked about poo at the end. Yeah, so like we'll leave it out. at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we talked a lot about diet and also, um, and we alluded a lot to this gut-brain connection. So definitely stay tuned for a future episode where we're going to dive really deep into that cool topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So thank you, everyone. This has been episode two of the Nourish, Nurture, Breathe podcast. We're so thrilled that you've been here and been learning and listening and feeling empowered with us. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, remember to nourish, nurture and breathe every day. Thank you so much for listening. We're so grateful for the time you've spent with us and can't wait to do it again. If you'd like to get in touch, please reach out to us via the Nourish, Nurture, Breathe Facebook or Instagram pages. 
and check out nourishnurturebreathe.com for our show notes. And lastly, a little request from us. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your streaming platform of choice. It'll help so many others find our podcast. Thank you and until next time, remember to nourish, nurture and breathe every day.